Matthew chapter 12. Father, as we approach your word today, we have a great expectation for you to minister to us and speak to our hearts and lives. Thank you for truth that sets us free. Thank you for uh, understanding and revelation. We do ask you for utterance in the Holy Ghost's boldness to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, I want to shift gears, and we'll come back to the marriage message. Uh, But today is, of course, Easter. This is Resurrection Day. And so we want to talk about some things along those lines. And uh, I want to talk about some of the things that happened behind the scenes um, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Many people are uh, very much aware of and know what happened from the external standpoint. Uh, you know, the, the physical abuse and beating that Jesus took, how he physically died uh, for our sins, and how uh, he was physically and bodily raised from the dead on that resurrection day. And I don't want to take anything away from that at all. That is, of course, very, very important for us all to understand. And it's necessary for the redemption that the Lord has for us to be complete. However, there's a lot more to the story that happened beyond the realm of physical eyes. All right. Those who were there, the disciples, the, some of the soldiers, a lot of the people who witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus only saw half. All right. They only saw the physical side of what was taking place. In reality, there was a whole lot of spiritual activity going on there. You know this, that just as it is today, when a person dies, how many understand that's not the end? I mean, from a physical standpoint, when we see someone pass away, it looks like that's the end of their life. It looks like they're at their end. But how many know in reality, all they did was step out of their earth suit? They stepped out of their body, and because we are all created as spirit beings, we will all exist forever. And this life is but a dressing room for the life to come. We're just getting, we're just getting started here. We're just getting ready to uh, experience amazing things to come, or in some cases, horrifying things to come. Nevertheless, this is just the beginning, okay? When Jesus was on the cross... And he declared, it is finished. Remember that? He said, it is finished. That wasn't everything that was finished, right? What he was referring to is the old covenant was finished. All the practices of the laws and the sacrifices. He was the last sacrifice, okay? And from that standpoint, it was finished. But his job wasn't finished. He stepped out of his body and still had some things to accomplish to complete redemption. All right. How many understand the scripture tells us that if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, that what we believe is in vain? Okay. We are of all men most futile in our beliefs. And we, uh, he, the resurrection is absolutely necessary. But I get to wondering, just naturally speaking, if I know that whenever a person dies, they don't kind of keel over, you know, and kind of just go into limbo land or uh, sleep mode 
that they actually just step out of their body, then what happened to Jesus? When he breathed his last, what happened to him then? What did he do between then and the time when he came busting out of the grave? And that's what we want to take a look at. Here in Matthew chapter 4, chapter 12, and verse 4d, Jesus said here, (laughs) For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So real clear, we can see Jesus said it about himself, when I leave here, I'm going down. Jesus didn't go up and hang out with the Father, hang out with the angels. He left here and went down into the, the heart, you know, the heart of an of a artichoke. You know, it's that center there. He went to the center of the earth, the belly of the earth, Right? What in the world was at the belly of the earth? Well, uh, in Acts chapter 2, I'll just give you this. In verse 27, uh, it is a quotation from the Psalms, a prophecy about Jesus. It said, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so what happened is Jesus went to the center of the earth, which is called Hades. Or some of your translations will just say hell. Old Testament word was Sheol. Jesus went to hell. All right. Jesus was in the center of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, of course, the logical question is, what in the world was he doing there? (laughs) Right. And this is where we have an opportunity to do a whole lot of speculation which I want to avoid most of that, okay? Because the Bible doesn't give us a detailed account of a minute-by-minute or hour-by-hour explanation of what was happening in the belly of the earth, right? But it does tell us some things that transpired there. And so that's what I want to be uh, clear about. The Scripture tells us over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 20, and it speaks about how... Christ died and he suffered for our sins, uh, the just for the unjust. And, and, and it goes on to talk about how he went to preach to the spirits in prison. He preached to the spirits in prison. And then it references there how it references these spirits who were disobedient during the time of Noah. And so I know this, one of the things that happened in those three days is Jesus went preaching. He went declaring. And the word there doesn't really imply evangelism or show a response from these spirits. But I believe, especially you go back to the, the reference and it, says, it mentions the days of Noah. Also, Jude 6 talks about how there are angels who are reserved in chains until judgment. And so we've got some rebellious angels who did some things in the past. That might be the Genesis 6 account. uh, Who did some evil things. And they had been reserved or held in chains unto judgment. And Jesus went down there and let them know what's up. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. How many know Revelation says, uh, 
in, the, in that book that Jesus has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Right? Jesus went down there and Colossians said he stripped Satan of his power. He made a show of him openly. Spoiled principalities and powers. Right? Stripped him of all his authority. Well, we know Jesus was doing some, some butt kicking. Okay, that's one of the things that transpired. He went down there and preached and proclaimed and declared the victory that was his that he had gained over the devil and over all the evil forces. How many know people on the earth? They didn't know that was going on. People on the earth are mourning, going, what in the world's happening? The, Jesus is dead now, and he's down there preaching up a storm. Isn't he? <laughs> Again, was there more than that? Well, yeah, we'll talk about some more. But again, I don't want to speculate as to everything that happened there because I don't really have a chapter and verse for it. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 16. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to what Jesus was doing. But um, in Luke 16, this gives us a glimpse of the makeup of the center of the earth. Okay? Jesus told a story here. Now, it wasn't a parable because he didn't use that language, you know, so-and-so was likened unto so-and-so and and that type of terminology. This is a specific account of something that happened. He said in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Notice, that, notice what happened to him. He died and he was dead like a dog. He ceased to exist, right? No, that's not what it said. He died and was carried. Was his body carried? No, he was. His body was wherever they put their bodies, in the grave. He was carried to a place called Abraham's bosom. So where do people go when they die? This is where he went. Okay. The rich man also died and was buried and being in torments in Hades. In other words, this guy died and found himself in hell. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So he looks and sees Abraham, and there's Lazarus by him there. How many know he's not looking into heaven? Where are they? They all went down. Okay. We know Hades. We know hell, center of the earth. Jesus said, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. But from that place, they could look and see this place called Abraham's bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. How many can recognize that uh, people in that place are conscious? They're aware of their condition. Not just, well, I'm just dead. And no, as far as they're concerned, you know, when a person dies, you won't think I'm dead now. You will be very much alive outside of your body. He said, but Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. 
And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, uh, well, then he went on and talked to him about his family and asked him to help save his brothers. But again, now, now look here at the condition of this underworld, okay? You've got Hades, you've got hell where people are, the rich guy, and he's there. He's been there for a long time. He's still there. He's still thirsty, by the way. He's still tormented in that flame, okay? And then next to it, there's a place called Abraham's bosom where people are comforted. And in between, he said, there's a great gulf. But obviously, it wasn't narrow enough. They couldn't jump across, okay? But it was also not so far that they couldn't see. And they couldn't even talk because they were having a conversation across this great gulf. The rich guy was tormented. He was suffering. Lazarus, Abraham, they were in the other side. So someone might think, well, why in the world were they there? Why didn't they go to heaven? Okay, the answer is because they couldn't go to heaven because they were spiritually dead. All right, people from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, before Jesus came and died and was raised from the dead, they could not just go to heaven and be in the presence of God. Listen, if they could, Jesus came for nothing. If they could do that, if someone could just be a real good guy and just kind of love God and stuff, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to the cross to redeem them. The problem was they were all still dead. They were all still in a sinful condition and therefore could not enter into the presence of God. They had to hang out and wait. They had to chill in this holding place. Now, it was nice. I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I know they were comforted. They weren't going, oh, man, I just can't stand this anymore. No, God somehow created this place, and it was a nice place. And all the Old Testament saints went there when they died. Talk about David. Talk about, you know, all, a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Think about it for a moment. I want to speculate for a moment so you understand I don't have scriptures on, on, on what I'm about to say. But imagine the, people are waiting down there. And they're waiting what for? They're waiting for the Messiah to come. Because they were waiting. Hebrews says these people died in faith, not having received the promise. Because the time hadn't come yet. So they're waiting. And every day people are dying. And new people are showing up on both sides of the gulf. But people are showing up on their side. And I could imagine now, I'm guessing, but they're looking to these people saying, what's happening up there? Is he here yet? It's the one we heard about, the, the seed of the woman who would crush Satan under his feet. Has he come yet? No, not yet. And the prophets would come and, and they'd show up and they'd really look to them because they had insight. And uh, I imagine Isaiah showed up one day and he said, let me tell you some stuff the Lord showed me. He said, I saw the Son of God being crucified. He saw it in the Spirit though. And he, saw, he said, I saw God smite him, strike him with the sin of the world. I saw him bear our sickness and disease. And, and I saw that by his stripes, people would be healed. And, and they were interested in this. And they're, and they're waiting. They're hanging out. 
And you come into the New Testament. Oh, you know, they're get, getting more and more and more. And then one day, you know, John the Baptist shows up. And he said, let me tell you about my cousin. I saw him one day, and the Lord revealed to me that this was the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. He's here. He's up there right now. It's not going to be very long until we're all getting out of here. And we're going to go to the throne of God. He's on the earth right now working miracles and, and doing amazing things and showing his great love. It's happening right now as we speak. Imagine people were getting pretty excited. And, and, then, and then a little bit later, this guy comes down. His name's Lazarus. It's a different guy now. Not the Luke 16 guy. Jesus had a friend named Lazarus. And Lazarus died. All of a sudden, Lazarus shows up. And they say, hey, what's going on? What do you know about Jesus? He said, I know him pretty well. They said, he's my, he's my friend. And he starts telling them about all the things he knows. And how many know the story of Lazarus? He was dead for four days. And Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, move that stone. And he started calling out. Lazarus, what's happening down under? <laughs> Not in Australia, I mean, way down under. I imagine this guy Lazarus heard his voice. Someone's calling him. Who was it? It was Jesus. And in the middle of this, the, G, Lazarus hears his voice and he says, guys, I got to go. <laughs> and he comes back and he was raised up from the dead physically. I imagine that got a buzz around down, downtown, you know, downtown in Abraham's bosom. So you see what happened to Lazarus? He was here and now he's gone. <laughs> but they were excited and they were ready. And then one day, someone else showed up. You know who it was? It was Jesus. <laughs> and he said, I'm here, boys. <laughs> it's all time. It's time to get out of here. It's time to go. I, 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 I've, I've paid the price for your sins. And it's time to change this place. And that's why, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's why today, when people die, do you know they don't go there anymore? No more Abraham's bosom. All right, let's, let's, let's hold off there for a moment. I want to show you a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 1. Romans, the first chapter. I want to get your, your gears turning a little bit in your brain. And get you to think about some of these things. Let, let me ask you a couple questions. And uh, preferably, you don't answer out loud. All right? That way you don't have to be embarrassed at church. Just in case some of you are wrong. All right. Uh, is Jesus God's only son? Here's another question. When was Jesus begotten? All right, now let's look at Scripture. Romans 1 and verse 4, verse 3 you can see talks about Jesus and about him. Verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. I want you to notice the language here. He was declared to be the Son of God in relationship to the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're going to tweak some thinking here a little bit. Someone said, wasn't he the son of God before? Well, 
I would say yes, he was the son of God before. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, his sonship took on a whole new level of, of, of being. He was declared to be the son of God and that was different than when he was the son of God born, born of the Virgin Mary and so forth. Otherwise, it wouldn't have said this. But listen, when he was resurrected, he was declared to be the Son of God. He was declared. Everybody thinking now? Acts chapter uh, 13. Acts 13 and verse 33. It says, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. What's it talking about? Resurrection. He raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son today. I have begotten you. When was Jesus begotten? He was begotten on the day that he was resurrected. Bible language, Jesus was begotten through the resurrection. Someone said, what does it mean to be begotten? It means to be born. He was born when he was resurrected. Now, if anyone's confused about this, good. We're not done. Don't leave early. You came late, but don't leave early. <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2 So real clear now When was Jesus begotten? When he was resurrected When was he declared to be the son of God? When he was resurrected Hebrews chapter 2 And verse 9 Hebrews 2 9 But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Okay, now here we go again. When they saw Jesus from the physical standpoint, being crucified, being beaten, and then many of them, of course, saw him after he was raised from the dead, here's what they didn't see. See, Jesus did talk to them about some of this stuff, but for the most part, they didn't get it. For the most part, they didn't have a clue what was happening. Okay? And here's something they didn't see. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was not just dying like some criminal. He wasn't, although naturally, yes, it was capital punishment. He was dying just like the other criminals. But in reality, he was tasting death for everyone. If, if I were to be put on a cross, God forbid. I don't know how these crazy people, where's our Filipinos? I don't know how those crazy people in the Philippines do that to themselves. You know what I'm talking about? At this time of year, they crucify themselves to, that's just wrong. One person said he was trying to get his mom healed of cancer or something. Thought if he did that, they might get healed. Oh, I want to preach the truth to people. Anyway, 
They didn't see what was really happening. But Jesus wasn't dying for himself. He was tasting death for everyone. He was operating in the grace of God to taste death. For, they couldn't see that. But that was, well, that's what was happening. All right. Now, how many understand that our problem in life, I say our, the human race, the problem of the human race is not just physical. The biggest problem that people face is not the fact that their body's wearing out and that at some point it's going to give out totally and that they're going to die. That's not their problem. Their problem is not that they have a sickness or a disease or some type of physical trial that they are trying to overcome. That's not their problem. Their problem is spiritual. The problem in the earth is people have been spiritually separated from God. They have died spiritually. How many understand that's why uh, religion is not a solution? Religion does not fix anybody. People are in vain all around the world pursuing religious tenets and beliefs to curb their life, to be accepted and to try to gain entrance into heaven and all kinds of things. And they're doing it in vain because no matter how much a person changes, no no matter how many spiritual or religious rituals they go through, no matter even if they stop cussing and being mean and stealing and lying and, and doing all kinds of stuff, no matter how much of that they knock off, they're still dead. They still have a a dead spirit which has separated them from God. The only solution, the only solution is resurrection. They must be revived. There must be a way to take a person from death to life. If that's not possible, all that happens in their life is they become a nicer dead person. Dead people don't go to heaven. Dead people don't walk with God. Amen. And so there must be a solution. You remember this in Genesis chapter 2? That the Bible, that the Lord said to Adam, In the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. Well, it would appear again if you're just looking externally that God was wrong. Adam and Eve ate, they sinned, they broke the the, the commandment of God and lived for 900 years. What's up with that? How many understand that their death was not physical? It took a while for death to work its way out into the human race and now people die quickly, (laughs) right? But then it took a while, but what happened is he died at the root. He died in his spirit. There was a separation from God spiritual death came in him and according to Romans was passed upon all men and so people are dead today that's why what happened to Jesus physically was only half of the equation physical death is not our problem it's spiritual death and let me show you a couple other things here I'll just give you these references 2nd Corinthians 521 says, for he made him, him Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Notice the language here. Jesus became sin. 
They saw blood and guts and they saw a lot of gory stuff and a lot of pain and suffering. But what was really happening is Jesus became sin. Didn't just take our sin. It wasn't like he took a, you know, had a backpack and took our sin with him to the cross. And a lot of times people just think of it that way. Jesus took my sin to the cross. Well, if that's the case, then today I take his righteousness. Which leaves me a sinner carrying righteousness. If Jesus didn't become sin, then I cannot become righteous. If he was still righteous on the cross and he just took my sin then I come to him I remain a sinner and I have righteousness accounted to me but that's not what that's not good enough I have to go to Abraham's bosom and there's nobody there (laughs) we'll come back to that but what God's intention was is that he wanted to change the very nature of people That was necessary to abolish sin from every person's life. And so Jesus actually became sin. Just like this. He became a man to represent us at that place. When Jesus came into the earth through Mary. How many know Jesus didn't just step down into a man suit. And he said I'm going to look like man. You know mission impossible thing. He just got that. Got that disguise on. He's disguised as a man. No, that wouldn't be good enough. He actually became a man. And from what I understand, Jesus will now forever, throughout eternity, be a man. Now, he's also God and will always be God. But he's also a man now and that will forever be that way. But when he went to the cross, he's on the cross and he is sin. The Bible tells us he is sin. I mean, that's kind of nasty. I mean, that's just kind of bad looking. Someone said, I don't understand that. I thought Jesus was the spotless lamb, and you're saying he was sin. He was the spotless lamb until that point. You might remember the Old Testament story when the, uh, Israel was coming into the promised land. They were hanging out in the wilderness, you know, spent a cool 40 years there. They were griping and complaining and not believing God. And before you know it, snakes were coming in. Serpents and snakes coming in, biting people. They're dying. And, and, uh, and Moses cried out to the Lord and said, help. What are we going to do? And the Lord gave him an answer. He said, take one of those things. Take one of those serpents. He said, put it on a pole. Set it up high and tell everyone to look at it. Fix their gaze on that thing. If they do that, they'll be healed. And he did. And they were. And in John 3, Jesus mentioned that. And he tied it to himself. Just like that serpent on the pole, son of man's going to be lifted up like that. Say, what's that? That's not a spotless lamb. That looks like a curse. That's exactly what Jesus became. And that's why that symbolizes Jesus. You know, the medical symbol today still uses that that, that thing uh, for healing and so forth. Some people say healing's not for today. <laughs> Was the cross for today? Then of course it is. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But again, Jesus became a curse. Let me give you another reference. 
That's Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Having become a curse for us. He didn't just bear the curse. He didn't just take it with him to the cross. He actually became that. Why? Again, 1 Corinthians 5.21, so we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why it's incorrect to refer to Christians as sinners today. It's just, it's just wrong. I got, I got good Christian friends who say, oh, I know we're all sinners, and I always have to say. <coughs> it's just because they've been unbiblically taught. They don't know their nature has been changed. Right? But Jesus became sin. He became a curse. He took this. He tasted death for everyone so that we could be changed. Let me show you Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Okay, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 29. For he, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Is Jesus the only Son of God? The answer is no. I know there's at least two. I'm talking about me. <laughs> I would guess there's many more. But Jesus is not the only son of God. He's the firstborn. But now many of us, male and female now, have come in and are sons of God. Amen. He's the first. But I want you to notice this language that he is the firstborn among many brethren. Look at this. Jesus is not only Lord and God to us, those who have received him now. He's not only Lord, not only God, not only Savior. He's also brother. Imagine that. In one sense, Jesus is on the same plane with us. Now, he's always Lord and God, and he'll forever have that place, but he's also our brother. How did he become our brother? Now watch this. He was the first one to be born again. He was the first one to be born from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. And that's not the only scripture. Let me just give you these references for those of you who are really thinkers and want to make sure I'm not just throwing, pulling the wool over your eyes here and, and uh, introducing something that you've never heard. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Revelation 1.5, And Jesus Christ... The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Again, firstborn from the dead. Now, someone might think, well, he was the first one to be raised from the dead physically. Well, how many know if you understand the Bible, that's not the case. There were Old Testament people that were raised from the dead. There were at least three in Jesus' ministry, probably more, but we have record of of three people who were raised from the dead physically in his ministry. And so what does it mean Jesus was the first born from the dead? Well, he was begotten when he was raised up. He was declared to be the Son of God when he was raised up. What am I talking about? This is not just physical. What he experienced coming out of the grave, they saw with their physical eyes. But something else was transpiring. He came out of that thing 
spiritually as well. His, why, 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 would he have to be, why would he have to come out spiritually? Why would Jesus need to be born again like we are born again? Because he became sin. He became a curse. He tasted death for everyone. He took on the condition that we had so that we could take on the condition that he had. He took that, and so when he came out, he came out alive from the inside out. So much so that when he came out of there, people were coming out of their graves. There was so much resurrection power released. You read that Old Testament saints came out, and they came up in their physical bodies. Wow, there was just a tremendous amount of power being, dis- being on display when Jesus came out of the grave. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's first, and here we came after him. Jesus has been raised both physically and spiritually, and this is the most important and powerful event in all of history. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. We want to finish up over here today. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read over here in verse number 8. It says, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, and led captivity captive, and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended? into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus went down and Jesus came up. You know, one of the other reasons he went down is to lead a captivity of captives. Or as some translations say, lead a multitude of captives out of there. Who were these captives? These were all the people waiting for him to come. They were the people in the place called Abraham's bosom. It was a place of comfort and a place where they were waiting so they could be redeemed. So that their spirits could be made brand new. So they would qualify to stand in the very presence of God. And Jesus went down and said, you guys ready to go? Because <laughs> he went down there preaching and they said, yes, 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 yes. And there he is, their Redeemer and their Savior. He said, let's go out of here. And they, oh, I'd like to see this. Hopefully that we get, you know, replays <laughs> of this someday. And, uh, and all these Old Testament saints, they come out of there and they all go up into the very presence of God and have been there ever since in heaven itself. Amen. Why? Because they were now made right. And they came out, like I said, I don't know exactly the order of everything, but they came out, all, some of them picked up their bodies and went around town for a, a visit, <laughs> uh, right? Because there was just so much power being displayed there. And Jesus came up to get his body, talked to a few people, you know, there. And he said, you know, don't delay me. I've got to go finish this. And he went and put his blood on the mercy seat of heaven in the Holy of Holies because, you know, it was, that was the true thing. What was on earth was just a replica in the Old Testament of that place. And he finished our redemption. He completed it. He spent time in re- 
you know, was, uh, he appeared to many people, and finally he went down and sat at the right hand of God. And it was finished, and it was completed. He rested, and now salvation and uh, restoration and new life is available to every single person on the planet. It's available to those who are not even born yet. Some of you might have some El Pregos here. Uh, and uh, your baby has been redeemed already. And there's going to come a short time, and and you're going to talk to that little child and say, Sweetheart, Jesus died for your sins, so you could be with Him forever. And they're going to be changed, and they're going to be set free. And forever we will be the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen. I'm thankful, oh, that Jesus went through what He went through physically. I'm thankful for the revelation now that I can see why. And I can see what was happening behind the scenes. And I can see that Jesus, man, he went through some stuff that people didn't even have a clue about. And he suffered a great suffering. And he overcame. And he won the victory for us. And now you and I, now we can ride in on his coattails. (laughs) I'm not trying to make myself a better person. Not trying to get God to like me. Not trying to get God to be pleased with me. Not trying to get God to, uh, uh, you know, to recognize the things that I sacrifice for him. I'm coming in completely. And this is the only way we get there. I'm coming in completely on his finished work. Jesus paid the price. You try to come any other way, man, you're just a religious goofball. You just, just, you just don't see it. You just don't see it. But when you recognize he did it all. And I accept that. He's glorified and we benefit. We're justified. Amen. Father, thank you today. Oh, for all that Jesus has done. Thank you. Thank you so much for the resurrection of your son. Glory to God. We believe that at that day, not only was Jesus raised up, but we were raised up together with him. And now we are forever clean and forever righteous in your sight. Thank you for your grace that enables all of us to walk in this victory and to walk in the provision made through the great sacrifice. We believe that you're at work in our hearts to help us to to conform in our thinking and in our believing and in our lives to the image of Christ so that all the world will know the price paid for their lives. Father, thank you for helping us in these things and showing us the way in Jesus' name. Father, I do pray for those who've come to church today. They have not been resurrected yet. They're still spiritually dead.